monstrosity's voice horrors and church conversations the podcast for by car by by car i'm your lovely host kaija fields back with another episode and i have a great special recurring or return returning guest (laughs) (laughs) if you watched um my it chapter one and chapter two videos and don't know who this person is we have the writer director filmmaker dana jones me yay Made what are back. we talking about today, Dana? Today we are talking about Candyman. 2021. To be exact. Yes, because I have two episodes on Candyman already. I did a detailed episode on 1992, the original. I did a trailer um, reaction episode, which was when we thought that Candyman would come out last year. And we had to wait a very, very long time. You but know if it's my birthday last year? Yes. I was very upset about that. Very upset. I honestly, I kind of gave up on Candyman. <laughs> yeah, and then, when they, and then it just kind of snuck up on us. It really did. And then I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Let's go to the movies. Um, mm-hmm. Cool. So we have uh, 2021 Candyman, written and directed by Nita Costa, produced by Jordan Peele. It's starring Yahya Abdul-Mantin II, who plays Anthony McCoy. We have the beautiful Tiana Paris, um, who is playing Brianna Cartwright. Um, Coleman Domingo, who I recently just followed on social media. He's amazing. Um, He's ridiculously talented. No, like, it is... I was creeping, but we have uh, who's <laughs> playing William Burke, um, Michael Harsgrove who's playing Sherman Fields, and then we have Vanessa Williams who is making a comeback um, as Anne Marie McCoy, who played the same character in the original. So, um, pretty much, Candyman is a direct sequel to the original film. We don't talk about <laughs> Candyman two or three because. We just don't. Um, <laughs> actually, I haven't seen <laughs> so I don't, I don't care. But yeah, um, wash over those <laughs> exactly. So we have um, Anthony McCoy, who is played by Yahya Abdul Mantian II, who is an artist, and he's just living his life with his partner, who's like I would, I guess I would consider her to be like an art curator. In a yeah, sense. I think so. Yeah, she's so she's like an art curator and or an agent of some sort, and they're together. And he's an artist, and then pretty much um, 
Candyman is awakened in Anthony um, and he is pretty much going throughout this transformation of this film and turns out to be um, the new newest Candyman. Um, what was your initial reaction to hearing that there would be a two uh, a present day, you know, rendition or recreation of Candyman? Um, I was excited. Um... I was excited, one, of course, that uh, Jordan Pill was involved in it as a producer and co-writer, I believe. And then the fact that it was a, you know, an up-and-coming uh, woman director at the helm, I was really excited. And, you know, at that point, Yaya had been doing a lot. I was a big fan of his. Um, and so I was like, you know, let's just see, like, what happens. And the trailer got me super excited. So... I had nothing but good intentions um, and excitement going into it. Yeah, same. Honestly, Jordan Pill has kind of been on a roll since 2017 with all of these yeah. series and films. So I was like, okay, cool. It's just another thing under his belt. But when mm -hmm. I found out that Yaya Manteen was in the movie, I was like, you know what? I would say your name 15 times. <laughs> <laughs> I said, if this man is Shady Man, I would say his name 15 times. Mm -hmm. um, for him to show up into my room. So. <laughs> but, you know, being, it was kind of, I, I had high expectations being that it was a direct sequel of the movie, being that it was a monkey paw production, and then also being that, you know, you can't tread lightly with Candyman. Candyman is kind of like a film that I like to call like the hood delicacy. You can't, yeah. you can't fuck that up. <laughs> so like, right. like if someone was to be like, hey, we're doing a, a, another Tales from the Hood besides the right. other movies that came out, I'd be like, eh. eh yeah, I don't know. I, I think Candyman is 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 cult enough for them to had pull it off and take as many creative liberties as they did. Yeah. And so I think that helped them a lot in kind of recreating this in the way they wanted to and making it modern. I think the biggest thing with the news of Candyman, and it's kind of like a blessing and a curse in the case of like Jordan Peele, is when you think of Jordan Peele, when you see his name or you see Monkey Pie, you automatically think this is a Jordan Peele film. But in right. fact, this is a Nia DaCosta film. And I feel like right. this whole situation with, oh, it's uh, Jordan Peele's Candyman. It's like, no, it's Nia DaCosta's Candyman. You know, and the fact that a lot of people, you know, we we pay a lot of attention to social media. They weren't addressing the fact that this is Nia DaCosta's film. Yes, Jordan Peele is a part of it. He's a producer, co-writer. But this film was created by a Black woman. Right. And I feel like that's just a perfect example of how women and women of color in films are overshadowed, especially in mm. horror. You know, mm. and then going forward to when it debuted, you know, she was the first Black filmmaker to debut number one at the box office. Mm -hmm. I mean, not going into the fact that it's 2021, we're still talking about first black anything, but I digress. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, it's great and all, but it's like, hey, it's 2021. Um, so when did you see it when it first came out, like the opening weekend? Uh, I saw I saw the, the next Saturday. So I didn't see it the Friday, but I saw it the Saturday. Um, and, and yeah, it was, uh, this theater was pretty packed actually i was I, I was shocked at that um and it was packed full of like you know peers like young people like no one in there was under like 21 so like mm -hmm. that was cool um 
and it, it was definitely a good movie watching experience. Um, I always like watching movies when the theater is full or in a group setting, especially when it comes to horror, like getting the kind of simultaneous audience reaction to all the bits you're supposed to react to and stuff. So, yeah, I saw it the opening weekend. I went out of town and I saw it with my brother because I always drag him. Um, if I can to see Jordan Phil movies because we went to see us together the opening weekend and he was petrified. <laughs> so um, I got an opportunity to watch it just as a fan and, you know, just uh-huh. with like a clear lens. And it was amazing. I, I went on social media um, soon after and saw that Candyman is a movie for bougie black people. And I'm like, you know what? I'll take no. that. I'll take that. You know, let, can we Can we talk about that real quick? Let's talk about it. So, like, I, so, when I got the first kind of wave of, you know, critiques and hot takes and stuff, yeah, um, I felt, I felt that I was, like, a little bit, like, mixed. Like, I feel like a lot of people hadn't seen it yet, at least people that I follow. Mm-hmm. And then when it kind of started, it seemed like people didn't, it was, like, a lot of critique like negative critique and like you know i'm i'm not saying that like you know nothing is above critique like everything is up to be critiqued as it should be but like for some reason when it's when something that is art is centered around black people i feel like it's overly critiqued in a negative way and like by black people and it's like there is no room for it to, you know, not be 100%. There's no room for it to, you know, just be the thing that it is. There is no yeah. room for it to be. And I feel like that's an issue. I mean, that's an issue in, in different areas besides just film. But for mm-hmm. me, I think a lot of the critique that I was seeing was from people that weren't Black, that didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, I mean, of course, moving deep into the conversation um I got a lot of from what the initial reaction from that art critic got or or was how she acted I got that Mm -hmm. from a lot of people that I was seeing on Twitter that were non-black that were talking about well I just don't get Candyman I don't understand it and I'm just Mm -hmm. like if you don't understand Candyman but you understand Ari Aster's Midsommar or Hereditary then you're just anti-black because it's just like it's like you're not gonna sit there and tell me Right, right. You're not gonna sit it's, there and tell me that you watched Ari Aster's movies and was like, "Thank yeah, you." This. You, you, you can't didn't. sit there. You didn't. You can't sit there and tell me that you can understand The Village or The Witch or any other like mm-hmm. M Night Shyamalan kind of film, but you don't understand Candyman when it's painted out. It's painted for you. Yeah, and two, this again, this is a a sequel. Yeah, and you know horror movies of like I feel like this kind of horror new school realm that we're in is fairly new in 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 the way that they approach it it's a lot more um uh genesequa like abstract it's a lot more um autorist it's a you know it's things and but like if you look at the 90s 80s 70s like horror films it was very much so like this is what it is and there is no guessing game about it like you know, this is about an alien that kills people or this is about a sewer monster that kills people or this is about a demon like you know what i mean mm-hmm. and Candyman was very much so that it was different i feel like even for the time that it came out the original but like it was still like you know this dude is running around like killing people when he summoned and they're like what else is there to I think that a lot of times 
us as black people, we scream representation, representation, representation. But I feel like we only want that. And I say we as a, as a collective under certain yeah. stipulations. And when you want representation, right. And you want like, yeah. um, a, a different array of, of blackness in film, whether that's horror, drama, meat, mystery, comedy, whatever, that that comes with the more abstract film, not just the plain in your face kind of film. Every film is not going to be like Get Out. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's going to, mm-hmm. there's going to be that abstract avant-garde type of film that you have to watch over and over again. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like mm-hmm. you ask for representation or more blackness in film but it's just like when you get that or you get a film for quote unquote bougie black people then you don't understand mm-hmm. it and it's just like right. what do you want <laughs> yeah and and you know i think that like with with it being because for instance i feel like say if somebody else that wasn't jordan peele was the first kind of black horror director to break out and, and, and do this thing i feel like if jordan peele came after that and and did get out like, I don't think it would have been this phenomenon that it is. I think he benefited a lot. Obviously, it was great, but I think he benefited a lot from being the first and kind of setting a standard of what any type of Black should look like. And so, therefore, anything kind of, you know, adverse to that is looked at as, like, it. it, it people, I feel like they don't judge and it's just like oh it wasn't this so therefore it's not good or therefore yeah. I don't get it or I'm not going to try to get it you know yeah you also have to think about just the socio-political co- climate that get out came in or came mm-hmm. out in and it was just mm-hmm. like we needed that you know what I mean we need to right, show right, what right. it's like having just a, a daily encounter or what it's like having just a daily encounter of of blackness or of being black but i want to mm-hmm. move forward before we go on like a super deep tangent um so <laughs> when, um cabrini green and gentrification okay. um yeah especially being that we both and I, I currently live in houston but you've lived in houston for a long time and how we've yeah. seen gentrification play out in a lot mm-hmm. of the urban areas in the city um what are just your thoughts on gentrification um in general yeah, so actually, when um, I was at university, like my, and I went for the paper, my beat was kind of like community and gentrification. Like I wrote several stories on gentrification. Mm-hmm. And um, my thoughts on it are that I see a lot of um, kind of changing of narrative what gentrification is of saying, like, oh, it's, it's just cleaning up the community. Oh, it's just you know, doing all these things to like, quote unquote, make it better. And a lot of times making it better is making it wider. And, uh, but the thing is like, that's not what gentrification is. I've seen even people who are, you know, pro, you know, uh, keeping the people who were there and built the community there in their same place. They'll use gentrification in a way of like, oh, you know, we need to gentrify it in a way you know, putting in, you know, uh, rec centers and parks and like all these things. And like, but that's just not what gentrification is. Gentrification is the displacement of people that were once there. Exactly. There is no getting around that. And so it's just like, you know, and same thing with Cabrini Green. It's like they built, you know, these project homes 
down the line a few generations later they realize how close it is to the city and these transplant people start coming in and wanting to live and work at the same place and they was like well since this is government housing we can kind of just tell these people to leave whenever we want because they don't own any of this and so therefore now this historic place is not up for grabs to the highest bidder which is never the people who was supposed to serve in the first place mm-hmm. and um i i think that is a beautiful backdrop for the story that Candyman 2021 kind of lives in um I thought when I think about just like the generalization of Cabrini Green, for example, I think about that scene where Anthony is kind of like over talking himself or like putting his foot in his mouth when he's talking to the art critic. And she mm-hmm. makes that you people reference and mm-hmm. tries to double back and be like, oh, artist. Um, but I feel like it is often taken or that was taken a jab at the minorities that also mm-hmm. I don't want to say play into gentrification, but can't play into gentrification because it's not just white people moving into these high rises that are right. in the middle of the hood. You know, it's black people, mm-hmm. it's, you know, Hispanic people, whatever. Um, but I feel like that is just a misunderstanding of what gentrification actually is. And it's kind of like, right. oh, well, y'all are moving in here too. So it's like, y'all are playing a part of it too. And I'm just like, eh. It's, it's it's a lot it's it's nuanced because i and i i encounter this like in my like you know reporting stuff and it's like yes you can be a minority um or a non-white person uh and play into gentrification and be like essentially a part of the problem yeah and but i think though it's that it's if you go into a place and this is any place i think that to limit the most harm is to one understand where you're moving into mm-hmm. so you know you move in say you go into a place a neighborhood that you know nothing about and you just like it because it's like oh these brand new high-rises and they're they're this architecture and blah 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 blah, blah. and understand it's just like okay this was built literally two years ago like what was here before and exactly. it's like, like families and generation like asking those questions and it's just like do you want to live in this that might not be you know part of your own personal ethics but also too it's like you know if you live in the place you should have a obligation to give back to the surrounding community i feel like that is a way of the difference of being entrenched in the and being a part of it and then just being leech so like if you're not giving back in any way then it's like you have to question like what is it why is it that you're moving to this place I feel like the lack of empathy that plays into um, a lot of these non-Black people moving into these high-rises that are in areas, or not necessarily high-rises, but just, like, quickly developed areas in the middle of the fucking hood, if you want to be, um, right. you know, honest. I feel like right. it's a misunderstanding or, like, a lack of, like, empathy for the history that, you know that area comes from and it's kind of shown in the film with how um the art critic initially did not show any type of empathy or understanding of what the art that anthony was portraying um meant to him and to people that looked like him or people that experienced the things like him and she kind of made like this whole mockery of oh well xyz and oh it's an example of like pain and violence and justification or whatever and Mm -hmm. and you see that intentional or unintentional empathy 
empathy and it's like a socio-racial disconnect that you mm-hmm. honestly fe- I felt it because hell even Anthony was yeah. like you people what the fuck do you mean like, yeah. and then you and, even kind of oh uh, go ahead I'm sorry go ahead no but I was saying like I even think it's a part of like a big part of academia too because yeah. it's it's one thing say you 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 get somebody who is of this socioeconomic kind of place where it's like they live through gentrification or over policing or, or whatever you want to put into this and then you and they're met with somebody who studied that from an academia standpoint and so you get someone like the artist who's throwing out all these you know five syllable words and having exactly. this theory and all these things met with somebody who actually lives it and it's just like and because there is still that disconnect because of like she has never actually seen it or experienced it she's mm-hmm. passing this huge waft of judgment over the art that this person made while living in this place how like you know it it, it kind of shows that it's just like you know you even though you you understand the parameters of it you're still missing the point exactly so i'm gonna bring up another point so we mm-hmm. have um troy cartwright who is played by nathan stewart jerry and then we have grady greenberg who's played by I'm just going to call him Kyle K because I do not want to butcher his last name. So we have the queer representation in the film, which I loved. Um, But also I feel like that plays a part in the dynamic between Brianna's brother and his partner, because Troy was very like sensitive and apprehensive on like summoning Candyman or like Mm -hmm. just the whole idea of Candyman being an actual thing. And his partner in retrospect was like, oh, I don't give a fuck. Like, let's summon him. Mm -hmm. Or like there was one scene where he's like, ooh, don't summon Candyman. I don't want to die. And it's just like, you do not have the same empathy that we have as a culture or cultural empathy that we have. Mm-hmm. through this folklore and that could be you know right. represented through that and then also through you know gentrification or whatever it's just like that lack of empathy right. and i'm just like y'all need to read the room like yeah yeah <laughs> and I, I think that too is like the kind of um it's kind of when you get in a situation of and, and this is kind of you, you see it with anybody that does not somebody else's identity so like you know men see it with women and like vice versa and all these different things but um when there is a very specific type of threat to an identity usually people who are not inside of the identity have a severe lack of of empathy and sympathy mm-hmm. so i like i remember i remember reading a story where um it was this black couple um and they had like an interaction with the cop and the cop was essentially like, you know, doing what cops do to black people, like especially black men, like intimidating him or whatever. And he was like letting it slide just to like stay alive, right? Yeah. And um, his his partner, his woman was, you know, doing what women do is what people do with their partners trying to protect him, right? It's like, yeah. you know, she was saying like, you know, that's not right and like, you know, getting loud and protecting him. And, but, you know, long story short, they eventually made it out of there, you know, in one piece. And he pulled it to the side and was like, don't ever do it again. And it's just like, it just shows that even with these two people who are both black and understand their relationship with black people and police, is that it is, it is still specifically different with police and black men and police and black women that neither, neither parties understand fully for each other. Because then you exactly. do this full pause like that, where you're doing it in good faith, but it's just like this could cost me something that I can't get back. Exactly. You can kind of see that play out for sure in Queen and Slim, but we're not gonna get into that movie. <laughs> we are not going to get into that movie. 
<laughs> that movie was special, okay? Um, moving forward, I kind of want to talk about um, the transformation of Anthony McCoy. Um, mm. A few things before we get into it. Um, and side note, this is definitely a spoiler episode. So if you ain't seen Candyman, I'm sorry. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? But um, one of the big things, I think what I, when I'm watching a film, there's like this practicality um, lens that I kind of look at it through. And I'm just like, at the, at the time where Anthony is sitting at the dinner table with um, Brianna and those um, art critics from New York were there and they were talking and Anthony's just in shambles. Mm-hmm. Where are the goddamn police? Right. This is a black man who three white people have died at the hands of his art, or or it's like connected where the police in a city like Chicago. Mm -hmm. So that was number one. But I think um, the Anthony's transformation represents just um, trauma and folklore in the black community and how that can be Mm -hmm. passed down um, and how a lot of that can be silenced. For example, just the whole dynamic between Anthony and his mom and how she's like, he didn't even know that he was raised on the South side or or whatever. Yeah. But he was raised on the South side. So it's just like so many different things that we either silence due to trauma or Mm -hmm. we decide not to, to pass down or like give, through information because of the things that we had gone through. Or for example, like with Anne Marie, um, McCoy had gone through with, you know, Helen in the first film or whatever. Um, right. Also, I feel like it talks about like the madness of retribution that shadows black people. You know, even when we have been done wrong or we have um, been at the hands of injustice and we try to seek revenge or retribution of that, we still, you know, get the short end of the stick. You know what I, I mean? I, yeah, I definitely agree. And like that, that scene definitely stood out to me when, and you know, it was in the trailer when, you know, Andy Man and she's like, shh, and like, which was like, first of all, like amazing acting. Like she really kind of brought it all back. It's bad. I'm sure like it was a treat for people who had saw the original. Exactly. But like it, it definitely speaks to, and I, and I see this a lot from people who, um, of our, of our certain generation, I'm speaking like probably like friends. My my great grandparents are still alive, and they're in their early nine, early to mid nineties. And yes. my great grandmother is from um is from Arkansas, and but like you know she moved to California. She does not speak on her time in Arkansas ever. And my mm-hmm. this woman was born in like the mid nineteen twenties. Mm-hmm. She just doesn't speak on it at all ever, ever. And it's just kind of that idea of holding on to the trauma of your life. And, and I feel like it's in good faith because obviously you don't want to, parents don't want to burden their children with things that essentially don't have anything to do with them because they weren't there. But it's like you still act upon your trauma whether you realize it or not. Exactly. Like even if you don't talk about it with the person, it's like you are a product of it now and you are essentially like passing it down to the people that are directly around you. I think that also, and something that I really enjoyed about this film is that Candyman being more of a presence or a spirit rather than an actual Mm. person. And even um, there was reference that, you know, Candyman ain't he, Candyman is a whole damn hive. And of course that plays into the whole idea that Candyman has been um, a way of a coping mechanism for the wrongdoing of black men in the black community or, you know, 
so on and so forth. So it's just like, you know, in this film, he's kind of omnipresent, you know, even so Mm -hmm. much so that you can only see him murdering in like a reflection of a mirror or a window. Um, And so I think my biggest thing um, or a few takeaways that I get um, from Anthony's transformation is one of my favorite parts is when Anthony is sitting down and there is Brianna and Brianna's uh, brother, Troy, and Mm -hmm they're watching TV and they're talking about the murders at the um, art gallery and they say, Mm -hmm. Oh, a a piece by Anthony McCoy. He gets so excited. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. Oh shit. He gets excited because of the whole concept of, Oh, say my name. Like he's he's like, Oh, just say my name. And I'm like, Oh, that is so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, also speaking more so from, um, an artistic standpoint being that I'm a special effects makeup artist. I think um, when you have... How did you feel about that? Man. um, That was a beautiful depiction of, like I've I've mentioned it before and I've interviewed with other people, but when you have a makeup team and a filmmaking team that are on the same page and when Mm -hmm. you... I feel like that was a beautiful example of the makeup telling its own story because it was always there you know from the time right. where he got stung from the bee to the time where his arm got chopped off and then the hook was right. replaced over his hand the art or the makeup was telling a story and I thought that from watching it from a lens of an artist from a special effects artist that was beautiful mm-hmm. you know it was de- I, definitely a yeah. decay of the flesh but also a decay of the mind and you got to see yes. that Anthony was going mad and you saw that externally and then also you got to experience it internally so yeah i want to talk about that part like from a character and like from a cinema perspective mm-hmm. so his descent into madness i feel like is you know i might be reaching here but like that's what that's what that's what you brought me on to do um <laughs> is kind of like how uh when black people start to learn about blackness as a whole as, yeah. as an entity it's like you know you learn about kind of like the highlights you know growing up and learning the master narrative like oh okay rosa parks freedom walk slavery obama right (laughs) and like that's it (laughs) right (laughs) and that's it and you know maybe you'll have one kind of like you know cool history teacher in high school or like if you go to hbcu or you just take extra history classes when you go to university or whatever um you start to learn history all-encompassing and you know like we met at hbcu so like i learned like i had professors that took the time to teach it from a black perspective exactly and um they called it um because i remember like the the provost and the um and the the president was my history teacher my uh my second year and they called it history from the bottom up Mm -hmm. and so they taught history like the same you know time period but they only told it through the lens of um, black people, women, and indigenous people. Yeah. And so that sparked me to like read on my own and learn about all these figures and learn about like history at large from a black perspective. And it's like that descent for me, like learning more and like, wow, this is really like messed up. Oh, this is even more messed up than I thought. And you just keep going and going and going. And it's like how I felt with Yaya's character 
and him you like you would see him in spaces and hit like his body's there but his mind is somewhere totally else exactly. and because it's consumed with what he's learning and him realizing exactly how big it is and how overwhelming it is on someone's psyche mm-hmm. when you only kind of thought that the surface was all that there was mm-hmm. and I thought that that was beautiful like I, I remember the scene where it's like he's aggressively painting and like yes! the camera is yes! like below him yes! and he's just like he's like doing a thing but not there like he's on autopilot that like I was like oh my gosh okay so like, I was writing him second time verbatim I said this nigga is drawing Candyman without looking at the damn paper mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that is so like wow yeah it wow was <laughs> It, it, like that's probably one of my favorite scenes besides yes. you know the actual like you know ritual and stuff but like just what that represented um both in the film and on a larger scale was was like a stroke of genius i loved it it's it's the madness it's once you i'm not saying that blackness is surrounded by pain and suffering and, and all of that mm-hmm. but when you as a, a, a black american or whatever you discover um, parts of your past or the past of the lineages of people that are connected to you. It can be a lot. It can be maddening. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Especially for someone like Anthony, who is in kind of like this world of art and and kind of like this new age kind of ambiance. And then you get like this like smack of, okay, this is where a part of you as Anthony McCoy, who is in fact connected to Candyman is a part of all of these mm-hmm. fallen men who were done wrong. Right. You know what I mean? And so it, it can in fact be maddening, you know, of course with just the past like 10 to 15 years of what we've mm-hmm. experienced, you know, as black right. people. That in fact, I mean, it's a perfect example of how that can be maddening. Um, but yeah, I, I love the scene when Anthony's just drawing. I'm like, this nigga is not looking at the where he is feeling it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he's um, just going for it. So yeah. I want to ask you a question. Yeah. How did you feel about his relationship with his partner from the perspective of her? <sighs> okay, that's a whole like I have a whole passage set up. for Brianna honey because I live for Brianna Um, there is an entire angle of perspective from for Brianna and from Brianna even going back to the trauma or the repetition of trauma that she's experiencing in her life for one Mm. from her father of course him being an artist um, mm. We don't get a lot of backstory from her dad, but we do get the fact and the contextual like imagery right. of him, you know, trigger warning, unaliving himself in front right. of her. Um, mm-hmm. So we get that. And then also we get the fact that she continues to move through the art circuit, the art realm. So maybe that's a thing that she can't let go or she refuses to let go. Mm. Um, also, being that she is with someone like Anthony, who she has to also see kind of deteriorate at the hands of his own artistry. Mm. And I feel as if she harbors so much serious trauma from her and her father to her finding the bodies of the other art critics to her lying there and seeing Anthony being shot by the police. 
Mm-hmm. But we'll get into that last play or the last act <laughs> towards <Yeah>. end. <laughs> but, um, it's kind of like a double-edged sword yeah. um, for her because, again, like I said, she saw the deterioration of her father. She has to witness that with her partner. But at the same time, it's this um, whole ideology of that you have to keep things going, you know, because she's still mm-hmm. booking gigs, mm-hmm. she's still working, she's still even Hard. through this whole like thank you through this whole like deterioration of her relationship and her fucking crazy ass boyfriend. She's still talking to these people and this whole right. idea that black women and black femmes have to go through of uh, the show must go on even yeah. in the midst of trauma. And so maybe like her work ethic or her connections or all of that, you know, maybe that was just like, a, okay, this is a way for me to kind of not deal with what I'm, you know, going through. Right. It, and so I it felt makes it. Me think, it. It makes me think like, cause when I compare the couple in Candyman 21 to the original, like they're obviously like you know our parallels but the so like the man in the original like he was very much so i mean obviously she know his wife but like you know he was just very disconnected from her like the there was like just no empathy there yeah um even even when he was there like you know uh he like he still like it was just like you know just lock, like her lock her up essentially mm-hmm. and like in, in in the remake, like it, she was present the whole entire time, absolutely. And kind of like feeling, feeling his emotions for his work, like on the same level as him. And mm-hmm. it it makes me think of like what it must feel like to love a thing that causes you so much pain like on equal forces and so one never really overtakes the other but they just constantly jam and like when they jam you're kind of left with the brunt of that collision essentially exactly like and 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 for her that is art the thing that she loves the most but is that has also caused her so much harm and is currently causing her harm um and, and and in a lot of the same ways and like what does a person you know do with that Exactly. Even like the scene where her brother mentions that they want to take a lot of the art that her father had and uh, I Mm. think put that in a gallery or some sort. And she's like, no, like that is a part Mm -hmm. of my life that I am putting away and I'm moving forward. Mm -hmm. But are you really, truly moving forward? Because trauma has a way of like re-emerging in different things if you try to like suppress it enough so I think like that situation with Brianna is like a perfect example of not truly being able to deal with Mm -hmm. what you have gone through um and also about no no no, go ahead like no I think about what's interesting with trauma is that like I feel like for for trauma to manifest itself I feel like you have to it, it it takes time yeah uh because you know something can happen to somebody like i don't know let's say i don't know they get cheated on or whatever um it might not it'll be traumatic for some people it might not be traumatic for others depending on the person yeah but like it it for it to get to the point of trauma it, it takes time in other words you have to live with it and get comfortable with it and i think that is why trauma has a way of like resurfacing itself in your life because mm-hmm. it is a it is a a despicable type of comfortability yeah this is like i understand what this is 
and I've lived in it for so long and I'm comfortable here, even though it is not the best place to be. Exactly. That's why, you know, she married somebody that is essentially her father. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sitting here like, sis, you don't see the similarities. Like, <laughs> And I believe, I believe that she does. But it's like, she can't help herself. Exactly. Exactly. I just, um, I definitely want to take some time um, in my own personal writings to focus on Brianna's character, um, mm-hmm. even moving towards like the whole idea of um, Black women and Black femmes being uh, a backbone figure to Black men, right? And how even mm-hmm. at the end of the film, and I don't want to jump too farther forward, but how you know, she was apprehensive over the belief of Candyman th- throughout the entire film. And then at the mm-hmm. end, of course, after she saw what she saw, she's like, you know what? I'm just finna summon this nigga and I'm finna just see what's going on. Cause just, like, <laughs> I'm already like, I'm already like traumatized times 10. So it's like, I'm gonna go ahead mm-hmm. and just be like, you know what? Let me summon him and let me go ahead and put my full belief. Cause at this point, you know, all of this is going to fall on me. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's just like, Again, you have black women and black femmes and the trauma that this community faces in a sense tending to fall on them. And it's just like that's a great that is a great point that like I actually I don't think about enough. Mm -hmm. So for instance, like there is there is like a special bond between like, you know, just black men and black women for for good and bad yeah and it's like you know we put so much focus on um the the death of black men at the hands of everything that it could possibly be but we rarely don't think of um how the people around them exactly especially especially the women um, I feel like with, you know, the most recent uh, events, we, we, we've put highlights on people's mothers, you know? Yeah. But it's just like, that's not the only woman that was in this person's life. Like, you know, you had sisters, you had cousins, you had aunties, you had friends even. And it's like, that is a lot of collective grief that just doesn't have a space to like be discussed in, exactly. in, in, at large anyway i think and about oh sorry go ahead go ahead that i was just gonna say like and i honestly think that like she i feel like from a very early point in the film i feel like she believed that candy man was real yeah maybe like, it was her fear yeah it that was it that was fear. <laughs> like hey look i got time her and her brother yeah. honestly because her brother yeah. was the same like it was it mm-hmm. was very like tiptoe let's be sensitive about this subject instead mm-hmm. of hey let's summon candy man you know what i mean yeah. of course anthony wanted to do it because anthony didn't even know that he was candy man at the time but, but bro was candy right. man so, so he, right. he wanted like, to you've been candy man for a long time exactly <laughs> You were born Katie Bear, but he wanted to stir mm-hmm. the pot. But even like you can tell the dynamic of, of Brianna and Troy, they were very much so like tiptoe, let's be sensitive. Uh, I think what really stuck out to me was like black people shouldn't be summoning and summoning shit. And I'm just like mm-hmm. cult- collectively, culturally, especially coming from like 
the South in like a very like yeah. Judaic Christian based, mm-hmm. you know, background. That, that's, that is that's, what, that's the jam. <laughs> exactly. That's what we that's don't, the we jam. don't do that. We don't we don't mm-hmm. summon nothing. We don't play with spirits. We don't play with demons. We don't, we don't do those but things. To like push back on that, I feel that the idea of like black people don't summon shit is only held in a when when it's like the 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 spirit is looked upon as being inherently bad, and so mm-hmm. you like you see this with like you know like you know voodoo, hoodoo, like black magic, like exactly. all these things. Um, things that are looked at as evil, but it's just like, like, what do you do when you go to church? Like, we just we it's substitute the, the word summon. Look. We substitute the word summon for praise. Exactly. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Or even more so, like the whole act of communion, because I grew up like non-denominational Christian, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, we took the bread, which represented the body, and the juice, which or yeah. the wine, which represented the blood. And I'm like, now which, that I'm you a young like, adult, <laughs> yo. and I'm like, that's. Which branch? That's 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 a ritual. <laughs> like it, yes, yeah, a ritual. Like if you, we like did it every first Sunday of every right? month. Every, Repetitive. Like if you, if you extrapolate that, right? Like the actual act out of Christianity and put it literally anywhere else, people will be like, I'm it's not a ritual. With that. Yeah, be like, I'm not fucking with that. What do you mean? The bread is the body and the wine is and the, the blood. blood? I'm drinking the blood and I'm eating the body, baby. That's a ritual. What? <laughs> Cannibalism. Period. <laughs> <laughs> Period. Like we would not, we would not be doing that. And it's just yeah. like a lot of that grape, that grape juice went hard. Did but like yo? Did <laughs> not only that, but we used to have Hawaiian. We used to have a uh, Hawaiian bread, King's Hawaiian bread. Man, when I used For to, real. when I used to go out with be doubling up on the body and the, the, the blood. I'm gonna have a whole feast. Yeah, <laughs> you hungry? Sit in church all night or all day. I'm gonna take a hunk of bread, and it was Welch's grape Man. juice that they gave us. We didn't get wine, so I used to try to sneak two cups, child. Mm. <sighs> um, another yeah. character who I kind of want to talk about um is Coleman Domingo's character William Burke. And at first, initially, when I saw the film, I was a bit confused as to okay. his placement. Um, in the film of course like the second time I saw it it was kind of like he's kind of like this obsessive type stand character of Candyman and the lineage of Candyman and what Candyman represents um, but the first time I saw it I was like what is this nigga doing like is he just like a stand like who, who is he um, I didn't really grow to appreciate who he was and what he did I, I, I would use appreciate loosely um, <laughs> until I watched it the second time uh huh so what um, conclusion so, did you come to? Honestly, to me, it was more so like a um, a fascination because he got to encounter Candyman at a young age. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like and that one thing that you can't shake. Yeah. The trauma that ah. came from that experience, knowing that that person was innocent. You know, I mean? you can't yeah. shake that. You can't shake that experience. I think about often, especially when we were talking about um, Black women and femme f- figures in, in essence mm-hmm. of Black trauma, I thought about right. Michael Brown and how Michael Brown's girlfriend, if, please correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, but I think it was like, I think she saw his body laying in the middle of, of the street or, or his mom, somebody just saw his body just laying uncovered in the middle of the street. You, you don't erase those things out of your brain. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so that trauma that um, William experienced as a kid being one of him seeing, you know, um, 
Sherman be beaten and killed at the hands of the police. And then also his um, sister, because his sister was killed from Candyman. You don't shape those things. And so with that, it's just kind of like a manifestation of, of trauma and how over time, if those things aren't processed, then that could turn into an obsession. And so that's kind of like where, you know, his placement was. And it to in my brain, it goes to like Stan. Because it's like, I have okay. a shrine of Candyman. I have like this shrine of candy ran in my house. (laughs) I think that he was under a spell. Really? Yes. Okay. Tell me more. And so, like, I, I'm using spell loosely because I think that, like, you saying that, like, I'm, I'm, I'm exchanging your word for him going through the trauma for spell because, like. Um, came especially when I because I feel like Candyman was a little bit um less mm, like mystic in the remake in the in the twenty twenty one version. Like yeah. he was like you know like you summon me, I'm gonna pop up, I'm gonna kill you, cool. Um, but like if you compare it to the original, like for instance when um Homegirl, what's the white girl's name, Helen. When she was, uh, you know, essentially being um, institutionalized, yeah, uh, and and she they had her strapped up and in the room by herself was like above her. And he was like, "Kiss me, bitch," and she was like, "No," <laughs> and um, I can't when she myself. went to, right exactly, <laughs> and then. <laughs> I'm sorry, I love that scene. Nah, look, whoever that, whatever her name is, she was doing a thing. But like, and then when she went to the doctor's office and he showed her the video and he showed her like that there was nobody there. Yeah. Like, that kind of, I mean, when I say spell, like, essentially, this is a a entity that like doesn't, it it straddles this weird line of existing both in the physical and non-physical world. Absolutely. So, like, her mind is kind of willing him into existence, even though he does exist. Mm-hmm. And that that and that part of Candyman wasn't in, you know, the twenty twenty one version. Yeah. Um, and so I think that uh, uh, what's what's the name? Domingo. Um, ooh, Coleman Domingo. Yeah. Coleman Domingo. Coleman Domingo. Like I feel like his character little boy I thought he was put under a spell and yeah. it was it's kind of like the idea of like you know when a time comes and you know my predecessor comes going to do the ritual or whatever mm-hmm. and I and I say that because when we first get introduced to his character as an adult anyway he's very like you know welcome to the neighborhood blah 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 like you know there's a little like ghost story we tell kids in the hood about Candyman da, da, da. and mm-hmm. he's just seems like kind of like just the the he's he serves as the character in the film to welcome the audience into the world right yeah um along with you know the the actual character in the in the movie but when he's doing the ritual he's not that same like he's not acting the same like he, yeah he he's acting possessed he's like, mad he's gone mad but like that's the thing i don't think it's like a how can i oh have you seen the terrible movie bird box yeah okay so Remember when they let that guy in and he seemed cool and then it turned out that he had already seen the little aliens or whatever? Oh, And he switched yeah. like that? He was, like, but he was playing, he was... Look... Yeah. Right, but before that, he was, he seemed normal. Like, he was doing an act. That's how mm-hmm. I imagine, like, 
you know, Coleman's character. Like he was doing this act, but he is under the under the spell of Candyman. And then when he was able to let that kind of facade down, that's mm-hmm. when you saw the way he was acting, you know, during the rule and, and, and you know, luring the girlfriend and like all these things. Yeah. Um, side note for people that haven't seen Candyman that's listening, if you have any form of trypophobia, please cover your eyes yeah, during no, the last right. act because as an artist, I saw that and I was it was beautiful shock. I was like, wow, like yeah. just it, to see <laughs> someone like Yaya um yeah. in such agonizing pain. Yeah, like it if you're squirmish or like you please know, yeah, don't, have, watch have, it. don't don't lock up your eyes because it is very like I even I jumped because like and I'm not like a squirmish person by any means. Uh-huh. But when he put that hook in his hand, I was like, Oh no, like I felt that the whole the whole time I was watching it because my partner I initially well, I don't know like he's super troublephobic, but I know like seeing shit like that kind of makes us like skin crawl so I was thinking I was like we are not gonna be able to watch this movie <laughs> but we ended up watching yeah. it together and he was like oh it was that bad but I was like yo like as a, like a person that uh, for me of course I I defeated my trypophobia by actually doing the work like doing special effects makeup so like mm-hmm. I'm like okay it's just fake it's fake it's fake but like for someone who does not have that privilege I would be yeah. very upset going into that movie <laughs> and seeing that because you don't get any of that in the first film and again that nah. goes back to to me saying that that's when you get like the makeup telling its own story right you know what i mean so man that mm. was insane okay. but um the deaths yes wait wait so, wait before like, we get in okay what, what were you gonna say no no go, no, go, ahead, go, ahead, go ahead go ahead okay so before we get in Okay, so I guess this plays into the death. The, the last thing that I wanted to talk about before we got into the deaths was, I, well, I guess this plays into it, but the scene um, with the high school girls. Mm-hmm. And my theory with that. Okay. So we have the high school girls, and shout out to the Asian girl for leaving POC. Mm-hmm. She, she was, was like, like look, <laughs> look, she was, look, I saw a t- uh, TikTok that said, like, you live in ego 2%. Yo, two percent black. <laughs> Yo, that she, hilarious. She was like, "Look, I ain't got time for this shit," and so she left. But of course, the scene where the other girls, including the girl, I think her name was Haley, or the actress that played her, her name was Haley, or whatever, um, was in the bathroom, and they and they all were murdered by Candyman. But then the black girl was sitting in the um the stall in the stall, and of course, when the art critic died, her husband was a main suspect. So I'm thinking, like, I really was hoping that that black girl wasn't considered a suspect from that murder. Right, right, right. That right. was, like, sitting in the back of my head the whole movie because, mm-hmm. of course, just the history of Candyman, that is what it's about. You know, you know, Virginia right, Madison's right. character, Helen, she was to blame for all of the murders in the first film. So I was really, really crossing my fingers, hoping that that wasn't the case for that little girl. And I, I literally mm-hmm. saw so much of myself like high school Kai in this little girl. I'm like, oh my gosh, please don't let her be like subject to those murders. Cause it's just like, who else do you blame? This omnipresent right. fucking being Candyman or yeah, they, yeah, like, And how do you explain that? Like, exactly. Like, I didn't do it. A nigga came up the mirror and killed him. What? Yeah. <laughs> no, ain't nobody can believe that. Nobody. Exactly. But what was your um, favorite kill in the movie? 
I so obviously it's the main ones between like the high school and then like the art, but like I feel like I like the art one better um, when they were still in the, in the gallery because of how it was shot. Like yeah. getting like so from one like if anybody is like has ever used the camera um, and or used the camera like with a, b- a bunch of mirrors is very very difficult. Like even with like special effects, obviously you can hide the camera, but like it's very difficult to film when there's a bunch of mirrors around. And the way that and I I, I attest this to Nia Costa's like you know like directing prowess, like she did a really good job, like you know whipping the camera around, showing Candyman, not showing him, and like you know really kind of it because for me that scene also kind of put parameters around like what his powers are. Because um, there's a lot of like critique with like superhero movies where it's just like, you know, people say like, I don't understand the physics in this movie. And when they say that, they're talking about like, if Superman is throwing a nigga in a building and he goes to the building, we don't understand if that hurts or not because it's happening so fast. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, he can go through some buildings and some he stops. And there's no kind of like level of like what hurts. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that it was very disciplined it's like you are only going to see him in a mirror you're only going to see him in a reflection you see all this stuff happening in the real world where this nigga's getting dragged and getting cut up but it's like mm-hmm. you're only seeing it done in um in a in an adverse way and i really really liked that and it was really pleasing to watch from a from a cinematic point of view so i think mm-hmm. that was definitely like my favorite and it was like the first you know real like kill I think for me that first kill was an homage to the first kill in the original film. Um okay. yeah, where well I well it was more so whenever they were telling the story of the girl who um was with the guy and they were in the bathroom and they say Candyman and if you mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. if any of y'all watch Princess Cinema, please watch Princess Cinema's Candyman episode because he talks about in specific how um the guy says Candyman four times and he leaves mm-hmm. and then the girl right. in the first film says Candyman the last time and then he's like, yo, like does that count? Just like how many times do you have to right, say Right, right. <laughs> like, like is just, it kind of like a, is it like a Beetlejuice thing, you know? Exa- like exactly it's so like now that like it's like in my head and I'm like do you Beetlejuice Candyman crossover right if I say Candyman three times and somebody else says Candyman two times does that count you know what I'm saying does it cancel out but I think and that's another thing like so Helen was mad when Candyman came up in the in in her world and I think it's like you you summon the nigga like you like like he wasn't gonna like you like it's not like uh like Yaya's character where it's just like it like an upset like he didn't summon him like it was like an upset like yeah. he was already candy man it was like an obsession like he went down that hole when he found what he was looking for mm-hmm. you summoned him and now you got an attitude that he's here like he didn't even hear to bother you honestly again it's repetition how i was talking about how white people like to drag black people into their whole like fascination with like black folklore and like ritualistic things like same with fucking helen trying to bring um um kasi's um fuck her name Cassie Lemons or something yes her character um, into like she was like I'm not gonna say that shit I'm not gonna go to Cabrini Green I'm not gonna do none of that because you are (laughs) aware of I don't wanna go nowhere near thank you I don't wanna go nowhere near this but Helen's like oh no let's just go girl bye you don't know what it's you don't know you don't know you are not aware and that's a lack of empathy because you are not black you do not (laughs) know the experiences we have 
do you think it goes into like the sense of like you know with like white people not having any kind of i'm a person like danger to their lives that they seek out that danger yeah you think that goes into that because like it's a curiosity you know, like oh it's not either they it's don't like believe curious it's with your life because they don't believe in it because they don't that shows the like lack of validity, validity that they feel for like black mm-hmm. suffering and black pain. Like, oh, it's not a real thing. So okay, let's mm-hmm. just go ahead and summon this Candyman character. Let's just go ahead and go to this um, ghetto project area. Like, mm-hmm. are you fucking kidding me? Side note, fun fact: if you watch Good Times, Cabrini Green is the same um, project building that they filmed Good Times in. That's where it's based. Oh, really? Yes, Good Times is in Chicago. I I knew it was in Chicago. I didn't know it was in the same. um, It was in Cabrini Green. Nice uh, cinema fact. Right? Look, I did my research. (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's really wild to me. Because, like, look, like, if this happened in real life and I went to some, like, neighborhood and not just one person, Everybody is it's all like, you know, there's a nigga that hides, I don't know, underground and he'd be killing people if you do XYZ thing. I'm going to believe like I'm like I'm not gonna go test my luck. You know what? It reminds me of like gang culture, right? Let's think about like West Coast gang culture and how okay. um there are things, cultural things in gang culture that black people collectively know about for example when you hang someone's shoes that is like a memorial kind of thing like hey this person died unfortunately and we're going to pay reverence to that person i remember because you know i love tiktok i'm a tiktok whore but um (laughs) there was a tiktok where these white people were in la and they were taking the shoes down from these like white yes they were taking them down and selling them and selling them yeah what you don't yeah. do that like and that again that goes back into the lack of empathy either you do not want to know what did ice cube say in boys in the hood they don't know don't show or don't care yeah about what's going on in the hood yeah it it and it's just like what like let's let's take out the the cultural significance part of it out right yeah why did you do that in the first place period Why'd you do that in the first place? Like you went out of your way to take a, and they had a. I remember that take. They had a bunch of shoes. A bunch, and they only got like twenty dollars like, for the shoes. And I'm like, yeah, all these spirits is gonna be haunting y'all, and I can't wait. Like I can't you wait took for all them these to haunt shoes, y'all. Wires to set, like what? And it's and my thing too. If it's like, I don't know what it is. Like why people just don't be putting things together? Like yo, you see that it's not one lone pair of shoes on a wire. Exactly. No, no, no. Like, cause then I guess you, could, if you didn't know, you could chalk it up to somebody was being bullied or whatever. They took the shoes and threw it up there. It's a high you can't reach. No, it's a bunch of shoes on this wire. Mm-hmm. You don't think that that you thought that was an accident? Yeah. You thought this was fun and games? Like, come, like, come on. And I, I, and I and I feel like it it you know it it ties into like Helen's character from the original of just being like overly curious about something that has nothing you don't know to shit do about she don't nothing know to do shit with about like and too like it's already it it's not like some tall tale like this is recent like it's not some tall tale that like happened generations ago and haven't happened in in a hundred years like no this is all recent like stuff has been happening currently happening and you're just all like. Mm. 
I'm going to do a thesis on it. No. Exactly. <laughs> Come like, on, you know what's like, college. Uh, <laughs> no, that don't give a fuck. It doesn't justify it. Pick, but... pick something else. Thank you. <laughs> and also, like, they're like, you can tell me you can, they had a, 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 a master's degree major in, in urban. Fuck, get out of here, bro. Yes. Not one black person in that whole department. Get out of here. I feel like we're on the phone. <laughs> I do feel like that. Just having a regular conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's why I'm so glad I had you on because it's just like so many different layers yeah. to peel back from this movie. You know what I mean? Really? And uh, Really what stuck out to me was just like the coping mechanisms that we collectively have. And even Virginia Madison's mm. character... Um, uh, Helen talked about it. Like, they. Um, oh, well... Um, people of Cabrini Green used Candyman as an excuse to the violence that was happening in their own community. You know what I mean? It's just like, mm-hmm. eh, yeah, bitch, you reach in because Candyman's real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he jokes on you. Exactly. Um, how did you feel about the very end, um, spoiler alert, when they showed Tony Todd? Uh, so, like, the very end when, like, after like Tiana Paris like summoned him and stuff like after that yeah yeah after the cops are killed and the cop runs away and you know um she the uh, poli- more police are coming and she has a handcuffs on and she goes and she sees like this figure hovering over with bees and then it uncovers like this like CGI Tony Todd which by the way yeah, was yeah, great because yeah. like Gemini Man and all those other fucking movies sucked but this CGI excuse me that made <laughs> Tony Todd look young was amazing I. I thought it, it visually like it looked really really good. So that's that's one thing I want to like point out is that like and and I definitely saw it in in um you know the twenty twenty one man, but comparing it to the original like it is very um and if anybody hasn't seen it recently I implore you like go watch it again because like it is very like art house with mm-hmm. the very with with the with the just with the much more tailored you know, like, story and vision of, like, you know, like, story point. And I feel like with this one, it definitely was our house with just, like, still the same story and, like, just a higher budget. Because, like, like, I, I love that, you know, he was able to, like, reprise his role. And it, so watching him act, it seemed he just had so much fun doing it again. Mm-hmm. And I I feel like watching him act, I, I feel like I could see his mind kind of embodying the spirit of of what Candyman is. So it's kind of like, hey, I'm back, just like the original. And it's kind of like, and I look the same. So it's kind of like that ever everlasting spirit type deal. Exactly. And so... And, 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 I, I kind of uh, reference it to like um, Spider-Man in like the, for instance, how there's Miles Morales, right? And when he swings around the city, like it's very like obviously the exaggerated teen of a black, exaggerated swagger of a black teenager, but like when he swings, it's like sloppy. And then when Peter Parker swings and he's been Spider-Man for some years now, it's perfect. And I kind of see that in his acting where it's just all like it from a cinema standpoint of like you know i've been this spirit for so long 
And so I'm kind of doing the same things, but just a lot better and adding a lot more nuance to it. Exactly. Like one of my favorite, my one favorite parts of the movie is when that nigga came out the wall and I was like, yo, like that's some creepy shit. Like ain't no way. I would never go outside. If somebody was Period. Me that, like, that like, yo, there's a nigga that comes in the walls in the project Giving our game. And yeah, no knowing that there's several holes in the project buildings. Yeah. I'm never I would never go outside. Never, <laughs> ever, 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 ever. And then the second that I, I get I get caught up in a I don't laundry and, and he comes out I, No, I can't. I can't. I cannot. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. But it looked it looked really good like that. Um him being covered in bees and it looked so real and just I feel like it really was just like a a bow on top of the movie for me. I really enjoyed the film. Yeah, I think for me, especially with um Coleman Domingo's character William talking about the lineage of Candyman and how it started with Tony Todd's mm-hmm. character. Um and then moving forward throughout history through other Candyman figures or other Black men who have been wronged or injustice mm-hmm. or who have died at the hand of injustice. And mm-hmm. then you get this ending scene where it all starts. It's like a, a cycle, right. like not a cycle, but it comes back together where Candyman's yes. like, look, I need you to tell everybody. And so mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, Brianna's like, okay. I got you. Like uh, again, yeah. like, it all falling on black women and black femmes. Like I need right, you right. to tell everybody. I need you to to be that person. And it really made me happy because it was just like one. Tony Todd is an amazing character. Very very nice man. Um, I know a lot of people in the community who've spoken with him directly, who've met him. Oh, really? Very very yes, very very nice guy. That's um, and so just to see that he was able to see a film like this coming to fruition. It's just like, wow. So that was like, I smiled in the theater seeing that. Like, I was so happy. So, you know, back to what you said about like, you know, him telling like, you know, her, like you have to tell it and stuff. And you saying it falling on like black women and things. It's interesting because like, uh, in, in all cultures, but just specifically in like black culture, like women, like in sense are like the purveyors of culture like they're the ones that that keep the sense of like what it means to be this identity intact absolutely and um i i definitely feel like that is uh on purpose it's not an accident and and i also feel like there is i feel like i feel like people are more likely to listen to women when they're telling stories specifically especially when it relates to the community at large mm-hmm. i don't really know um but i i i notice it a lot yeah it's definitely more so it's kind of like the whole idea of just like of that one person in the community or that elder in the community just telling the mm-hmm. story and keeping that alive and then that just being passed on you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So yeah, yeah, that was Candyman was amazing. And again, I will say it with my chest: if you can sit there and watch in my Shyamalan's movies, you can sit there and watch Ari Aster's films, which I love, and you understand those, but you don't understand uh, 2021 Candyman. You're anti-black. Period. 
period. You're it's, like, it's, it's not, it it's not hard it, to get. It, it doesn't. It's not hard to get. It's not hard to understand. It's painted for you. Um, literally. Like, figuratively and literally. So you can't sit up here and tell me that you understood what Samar was or old. Because I didn't understand that movie. <laughs> Look, I saved my Aster. I have an article on KaiFXHorrorGroup.com for on Ari Aster. So if you y'all want to see how I feel about him, y'all can go read. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll leave that there. But yeah, overall, not, and like two, I also like one more thing is like I like that. Um, it also felt to me like it didn't take itself too seriously. Yeah. Um, it was just like, hey, this is a horror movie, you know. <laughs> We're gonna get you with the scary, with the creepy music and and some kills. And that's what that's what we're gonna do. Period. Like don't like we we not, you know, researching like, you know, sweetest rituals and trying to make a you know what I mean? Like right. there was humor to, too that I really appreciated. Yeah. Like the know. characters were lived in. Um and yeah, like it's it. And, and that's what, like that's just going back to what I said at the beginning about the the over criticism of like you know um, any type of like black art is just that like you know that at least go into it for 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 what it is and and, and judge it off of that and don't judge it off the, of what you what you wish that it had did exactly it, when it when it didn't tell you that it was going to do that <laughs> or comparing it yeah it's just like yo we said we were Candyman okay. <laughs> Exactly. We did not say we were get out. Right. Get out didn't even know that it was get out. For real. And that's why you they know. did that with uh, never mind, I'm not gonna go my tangent on us because I well, you know I haven't done an episode on get out and us yet, but I'm waiting. I don't know what I'm waiting on, but we'll get we'll cross that bridge when we get there. When we get there. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, Candyman was an amazing film. Um I deeply deeply enjoyed it um again i do want to touch base more so on brianna's character and um dissect that more so be on the lookout on kaifexhard.com for an article about that but um thank you oh it was it was pulling tugging at my spirit so i like i have to but um thank you dana for coming on for tonight's episode i always love having you on you know we always have a good time back um always have a great time if you want to see um uh, a few other episodes that dana has been on dana was on chapter one and chapter two which is going to be on youtube and on um all of your podcast um streaming platforms um dana where can we find you on social media uh you can find me on instagram and twitter uh at dana c jones underscore for both Awesome. And if you want to follow Monstrosity's Voice Podcast on Instagram and Twitter, you can do that at MVHU Podcast. If you want to follow KFX Horror Group on Instagram, that's KF Horror Group. If you want to hear me talk shit on Instagram and Twitter, you can go <laughs> to Kai underscore FX or Kai underscore SFX on Twitter. And uh, if you want to see all of it combined, you can go to www.kaifx.com. Uh, kaifxhorror.com um, thank you so much coming on. please be sure to follow Dana support Dana, open your poor purse um, make sure that you're <laughs> always supporting <laughs> black horror content creators and uh, stay safe, stay spooky mm-hmm.
Thank mm-hmm. you.